Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that I am looking for 50 people with Hashimoto's. If you have been diagnosed in the last 10 years and you feel lost or confused about exactly what to do, then I want to invite you to join me for a free training call on Thursday, May 16th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, where I will show you how to support your thyroid for your thyroid type and your specific Hashimoto's triggers. You will also find out how to lower your thyroid antibodies and how to get to the bottom of all of your thyroid symptoms, the weight gain, the fatigue, the brain fog, the inflammation, the hair loss. Please go to inatoppler.com slash Zoom call to register, and I will send you all of the call details. I only have room for 50 people, so please be sure that you register at inatoppler.com slash Zoom call and get your spot right now. Meet Christy. She is exhausted. Why? Because she can't sleep. And that on top of everything else going on in her super busy life is making her very, very stressed. Christy reads a lot and listens to many health-related shows, so she's quite educated. When her sleep trouble started a few years ago, she got right on it with improving her sleep hygiene. She made sure she's not on her phone too late. She dimmed her lights. She started an evening meditation, though she was someone who really disliked meditating. She even wore light-blocking glasses, but no change. She then tried supplements. Oh, so many supplements. Melatonin, but it made her groggy. Amino acids, magnesium, herbs, CBD, you name it. But it didn't really make that much of a difference. She really felt like she was at the end of her rope. She then learned about different functional medicine testing and came to see me about that and to get to the bottom of everything. When I met Christy and got to know her a bit, I knew that while biochemistry was part of it, there was something else that was going on additionally, and we need to figure out which came first and what was really driving things so we can solve her health mystery. Every year, thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know because that was me before I figured out the actual causes and reclaimed my health. Now I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler, and this is Health Mystery Solved. We just heard about all of the different issues that Christy was having with her sleep. No matter what she did, she just could not sleep. So joining me on the show today to talk much more about this is Devin Burke. In a nutshell, Devin helps people sleep better. Now, Devin is an international and TEDx speaker. He's the best-selling author of The Sleep Advantage, the founder of Sleep Science Academy, and one of the top health and sleep coaches in the world. His books, keynotes, programs, and videos have inspired thousands of people to improve their sleep, energy, and life. Devin, I'm so excited to have you here. Welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So when it comes to sleep, and I think most people know at this point that it is essential for so many things, obviously our health, our well-being, our energy, you know, everything in life. But as important as it is, there's so many people that can't sleep. Now, why do you think that people have sleep issues? It's a great question. 
And in, in the 30,000 foot nutshell answer is stress. It's mental, emotional stress. It's physical stress. It's environmental stress. And it's also the technology, which is a form of stress. So in a nutshell, there's different types of stress, but 100% it's stress. When people look at sleep and they maybe start to Google and look at some of the things or even listen to podcasts and read books about it, there is a lot about sleep medications, which, you know, of course they have their pluses and minuses. And then there's also lots and lots of different supplements from magnesium to melatonin to different herbs. And then there's like the hygiene things, right? Like let's put our electronics away. Let's make sure that the temperature is right. Let's make sure that our lights aren't very bright. And these are all things that Christy did. And she thought, oh my gosh, like she's going to get to the bottom, but she did all of these things. But Yet, even with all of that, and I think those things are pretty easy to find on the internet, like of what you could do for sleep hygiene, they still didn't work for her. And there's so many people that suffer with the same. Why do you think that is? I work with people all over the country. And one of the most common things that I hear from clients is I've tried everything and nothing has worked. And the reason is, is people, like you said, like Christy, go on the internet and they read sleep hygiene, you know, make the room cold and dark, take magnesium supplement you know, don't bring your phone into bed. And those things are fantastic and absolutely help with sleep quality, but they don't solve insomnia. And a lot of times people don't even realize that they have insomnia. Uh, either there's, you know, two types of insomnia, onset or maintenance insomnia. So trouble initiating sleep or staying asleep. Those things, again, they, they're helpful. They help with sleep quality, but often it's not the, the underlying issue is actually more of a mental emotional, psychological issue that people never get the proper guidance or proper support to, to work through and on to then really have a breakthrough and allow their body to do what it knows how to do, which is sleep. So where would someone start to try and look at that? You know, what exactly do you mean by this mental or sort of psychological aspect of sleep? The first thing is to really identify the thoughts and beliefs you have about your ability to sleep. And really understanding, okay, well, what is it that you're telling yourself? And there's a couple of patterns that people usually have that we, I found over the years working with people that have tried all the physical and the environmental aspects and they're still not sleeping. And it's one of them is they're trying to effort, force, or control their sleep. And what this does is it creates an underlying tension or pressure, which shifts the body into a sympathetic state, which doesn't allow it to rest. And sometimes it's really, really subtle. And people just aren't even aware that they're even doing it. But sleep is something that happens when we allow it to happen. And any type of efforting or trying to will sleep or control sleep through any means actually can be the very thing that keeps us from sleep. Mm, that's so interesting. And I don't think I've ever really thought of it that way. I mean, that's something people talk a lot about with other topics like sex, for example. I just did an episode on that and it was all kind of similar to that. And that makes sense. But I think for sleep, you know, we don't always think of it that way. That's so interesting. How would someone know that they are even doing that or efforting it? Well, first and foremost, if you've tried all the other things and you're still not sleeping, there's a high chance that you're, you're, you fall into this category. Um, now, I, I identified, I call them the three Ps. Usually people that are perfectionists, they are treating sleep like it's a problem and they put it on a pedestal. If you are nodding your head like, oh yeah, I put sleep on a pedestal. I'm definitely more of a perfectionist in my life. 
and I'm treating sleep like it's a problem, then there's a high likelihood that you definitely are trying to force control and will your sleep. And that's part of, that's part of the piece of why you're not sleeping. Um, so I call them the three P's and, and they're, they're tricky to work through these sort of psychological sticking points can be challenging for people. But what we do, what we found that works so, so well is helping people first and foremost, just understand, well, what are your thoughts and beliefs about your ability to sleep? Because oftentimes people have these stories like, well, uh, it's genetic. My dad and my mom and my sister and my brother, they all have sleep issues. So it's, you know, it's definitely a genetic thing. I'll never sleep. Or, you know, they have these things like they feel like something in them is broken. Like there's some sort of neuron issue or something like that. And what I tell people is even if maybe some of that is true, it's not useful. If, if a thought or a belief is creating stress, that's a barrier to you actually getting sleep. So you want to explore that. So we do like a deep dive in, when we work with clients on, there's probably about a hundred common thoughts and beliefs that people tell themselves about their, their sleep. And really when people understand that, well, first and foremost, these aren't even my thoughts because if they are your thoughts, then all of these other people that are having the same thoughts wouldn't have the same thoughts. So people think that their situation is unique. And I always say that you're unique, but your sleep challenge is not unique. And so once people kind of realize that, then we, you know, you can start to sort of unravel some of these underlying patterns that then can keep people really, really stuck. Right. And that's a great realization because that obviously gives people hope that you know, their situation is not unique, that there is something that could be done. Because I think that's one of the worst things when people feel just completely hopeless and lost, that there's nothing they can do. Absolutely. And, and the biggest emotional um, block that most people have is they're, they're stuck in fear. And fear is, is really an, a toxic emotion. I mean, obviously, it's so important to have fear. It keeps us alive. But a lot of times people are afraid of the consequences of not sleeping. They're afraid that they're going to sleep terrible the rest of their entire life. And they're sort of doomed to this horrible existence. And there's all these underlying sort of fears that keep the body when, when a body's in fear, it won't relax. It's, it's going to be dumping cortisol and adrenaline and noradrenaline, even though it might not be to the extent of like somebody chasing you down with a knife. It's, it's subtle. And that happens throughout the day. And then people take their days right into their nights. And then they wonder why they're tossing and turning. They're staring at the ceiling and they can't sleep. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think obviously when they're not sleeping, they don't feel well. So it's on top of that, also the fear of like, well, I'm going to have a terrible day tomorrow and who wants that, right? That's it. And that's, again, that's part of this this thought process where people start to dread the night. We call it bed dread. And then it's like the thought of, oh my God, if I don't get sleep, then tomorrow I'm going to be foggy. I'm going to, I'm a low energy. I'm not going to show up for my show or for my kids or for the meeting. And that you know, thinking about all that stuff in the next day is, is it's a form of anxiety. And that creates more, again, more stress hormones, which then lead to less sleep. And then it becomes this terrible paradox people find themselves in because when you're not sleeping, your body and mind are repairing and you're experiencing more stress. And then the more stress you experience throughout the day, the less rest you experience at night and on and on this goes until you really can start to understand the psychological triggers, unpack them, and then work through some of the physiological aspects of those psychological triggers to then have the body relax. Because the body knows how to sleep. 
I mean, you don't have to think about breathing. You don't have to think about your heart beating. You know, the body has an innate wisdom. It knows what to do. It's oftentimes we just get in the way of that. Right. Now, do you think that there's a difference between those people that are so-called ones that have never slept well versus those maybe that have slept fine when they were younger or maybe as teenagers, even in young adults, and then just all of a sudden started to not sleep well. Um, maybe they had some type of a traumatic experience or maybe it wasn't anything that they can even pinpoint, but they just, as they got older, started to not sleep well. Yeah. I mean, usually there is like a trigger. Some people do come into this world and they're, they're light sleepers because of, a very, you know, it could be some role in genetics there or also trauma in, in their background. But oftentimes there's an event, a stressful event. Maybe there's a, something going on at work or in the relationship or a health scare or something like that. And so that's the event. And then there's what people do after the event. And this is where people get stuck. So what most people do is they turn to medication. And medication, there's a time and a place for it. Thank God for it. But most people rely on it and it becomes a Band-Aid. And then they have this psychological attachment and a physiological attachment to these drugs. And then they jump from drug to drug. Uh, and then oftentimes when those stop working, then they're like, okay, well now I need to find something else. So they go online and they look up how to sleep better and the sleep hygiene comes up. Okay. Now I'm going to get a new, new mattress and my room is going to be cold and dark. You know, I'm going to do all these things. And then when those things don't work, then people get really afraid. They're like, oh my God, there's something seriously wrong with me because everyone's telling me that these things should help me sleep and I'm still not sleeping. And that puts the body and the mind in the spin. And, and then hopefully they're able to find me and I can help them. <laughs> but that's sort of how those things go. There's, there's an event and then it's really, it's learned. It's learned insomnia, but that's sort of the cascade. You know, sometimes it could be supplements too. It doesn't always have to be medication. Sometimes people try all the supplements, the magnesium and the GABA and the L-theanine and the, the Kava Kava. And, and the many more out there, right? <laughs> yeah. I have a whole chapter in my book on all of them. Yeah. yeah. So. And I mean, I think that in some situations, there are obviously certain biochemical things, right? Like if someone really is low in GABA, then, you know, the GABA can help, but as you said, though, if there's these psychological or mental issues, that could even be the reason why you're low on GABA in the first place, because your high cortisol is then affecting some of the adrenaline, which is then depleting your GABA, right? Or, or A hundred percent. I mean, absolutely. You know, I, I, by no means am I downplaying the physical aspects of this. There for sure, there are, there are things that physiologically, but oftentimes those are created from bad habits either in how we're thinking or what we're doing or not doing, like that example that you just mentioned. Now, what about the different types of insomnia? I know you mentioned there's one where people have difficulty falling asleep, and then there's one where people fall asleep just fine, but then at 2 a.m., 3 a.m. or whatnot, they wake up and then, you know, even if they have to go to the bathroom, instead of it taking five minutes or so to fall asleep, they're then awake for an hour or two, or sometimes even for the rest of the night. Um, would you say that some of these mental and psychological factors can affect both of these types of insomnias or does it affect one more than the other? Both. So onset insomnia is trouble initiating sleep or what we call in sleep science, sleep latency. And then maintenance insomnia is trouble. Those people that wake up, maybe to use the restroom or they just wake up and then they're not able to get back to sleep. It takes them sometimes hours to get back to sleep, or maybe they don't even get back to sleep at all. In both of those cases, usually there's the solution is the same. It's oftentimes people that wake up then start to worry or effort or try to do things so that they can sleep. 
same thing with people that have issues initiating sleep. They're maybe having these elaborate routines that they, they're trying to do. And it's like building up all this expectation and all this pressure around it. And then it just leads to them not being able to, to actually have it happen. Right. Now, can you give me an example of that um, in terms of routines and how that sometimes could be too much? Yeah. I mean, well, I can just give you a perfect example. So, so last night in our group a coaching session, a woman, uh, you know, I was working with a woman and her, her challenge was she had this whole routine and she was sleeping great for two weeks. And then she had three days where she was all of a sudden, she felt like she was going backwards to square one. And we started to explore this. And she said, I asked her, well, what did, you know, what were you doing? What was, what was, you know, before you went to sleep? She said, well, you know, I was rushing to get the kids to bed so that I could get into the bathtub, light my candle and do my meditation so that then I, I could sleep. Mm. And as soon as she said it, she sort of realized like, oh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm rushing to get the kids to bed so that I can get into like, so it's you know, people, I mean, I could tell you stories of these even extremely elaborate routines that people have where it's like two hours before bed, you know, they have to do this certain meditation and then they have to take a hot shower and, you know, and then they have to make sure that, you know, there's a certain amount of light in the room or not. It's like, it gets really wild. And I always tell people, there's millions of people tonight that are doing all of the opposite things that you're doing and they're sleeping peacefully. So how, how do you explain that? And then they're like, oh, okay. Sometimes, and not to say they're, you know, bedtime routines, there's a place for them, I think, for, for sleep quality and absolutely introducing good, healthy sleep habits for sure is great. But it's when people believe that they need to do these things in order to sleep. That's when it really becomes a problem. Right, right. Because then it's, you know, if this, then that. And if not this, then what? <laughs> right, essentially. Exactly. So. That's that's one of the, we have this thing called the off-night check-in. And then we, we look at, we check in on all these different sort of underlying patterns that people sort of have. And that's one of them. Like, did you have an if-then? You know, if, so if I'm not asleep by a certain time, then you know, I'm not going to sleep the rest of the night or then like something seriously wrong with me. Or if people have all these rules around sleep, they're not useful. They really aren't. Right. And I think people probably think they're useful initially because the rules did, I'm sure, help them at some point, right? If they weren't sleeping at all and then they got to sleep before their window sort of closed and they slept, it's like, oh, that must be a rule, right? And I'm sure there's something to it, like you're saying, but you know, as you're saying too, all of these rules then just create more stress. So that's not the answer. Yeah. And, and anything that's going to create more stress, or I like to use the word expectation, usually isn't helpful when it comes to sleep. Because sleep is, again, it sleep just happens. We can't force sleep. It The more you can really understand that and just drop back into that place of allowing sleep to come, the better you're going to sleep. It doesn't seem to make sense to the logical mind. And a lot of the things that actually help improve our sleep don't seem to make sense. Like sometimes people say, well, all right, I, I'm not sleeping well, so I need to spend more time in bed. No, do not spend more time in bed if you're not sleeping well. That that's You're going to anchor your bed and bedroom with wakefulness, and that's not what we want. Spend less time in bed. Oh. I never thought of it that way. It's a really good point. So, and there, that's just one example. There's, you know, there's a lot of other examples of where things like logically to our logical sort of pragmatic minds, like, oh yeah, this definitely makes sense. If I'm not sleeping well, then I need to take a nap. No, you don't need to take a nap because that's going to reduce sleep pressure. And then, you know, this uh, 
buildup of adenosine in the mind and body, which creates this sense of sleepiness. And, and, and if you're napping, you're messing with that system. You are, yeah, and the circadian rhythms of it too, for sure. Yeah, well, even the, the what you mentioned about the meditation, right? Like, because we, all we're talking about here, right, is how sleep and stress are so related. So when people are saying, well, I'm going to meditate to help, but yet then that doesn't help. So it's just kind of a similar example. It's like not what you think. Exactly. And, and here's the thing. The thing about meditation, meditation is fantastic. And there's a lot of really solid science and, and studies that show that mindfulness meditation helps with sleep and specifically insomnia. And if you're doing it so that you can sleep, then there's an expectation there. So if I do this, then I'll sleep. And if I do this and I don't sleep, okay, there's a problem. And that's the problem. Right, <laughs> so. right. Yeah. You know, my coach always says, if you have expectations, you're just leading yourself to disappointment. So, cause that's what expectations are. Like you never, you can never live up, I guess, to expectations. And it's more maybe thinking about having goals versus expectations. So it sounds like that's what you're saying too. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. Where would someone start? You know, let's say even someone like Christy, right? Who's tried everything and, you know, she certainly has expectations about stuff and she has a routine. Um, would it be helpful for someone to say, maybe have a journal where they can write down some of the beliefs that they have about sleep? Or perhaps maybe would it be good for them to look back at when it started to see what, like, is it important to know what the triggering event is or not necessarily? In the work that we do, not necessarily. Uh, it can be helpful if, you know, if you have any type of trauma with a big, you know, big T, you know, like abuse or something like that. I think getting help specifically around that can, because a lot of times people that have sleep issues do have some, uh, sometimes big T traumas like abuse or rape or things like that. And in that context, that would be helpful, but we don't do that. What we do is we help people where they are and we first do an inventory or an inquiry, I like to call it of what are all the things that you're telling yourself right now that are not true or not useful. And so some of those things could be that I've tried everything. That's that's a belief or a story. It could be, I'm never going to solve this, or if I don't sleep, I'm going to get cancer, or you know I'm going to get Alzheimer's, or I'm not going to be able to show up, or tomorrow's going to be terrible, or all these things, all these stories. Doing an inquiry of the thoughts and the beliefs that you have bouncing around your head is where you need to start. And you need to create the awareness around what are these thoughts and beliefs that I have and start to work with them and see them as not useful so that you can start to work with them. Right. And so even if they're possibly somewhat true, it's still important to see them as not useful. That is a hundred percent correct. And it's really important for people. It, 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 the thing is, if it's not useful, it, it might be true, but it's not useful. So if it's not going to help us, then let's work with it or look at it in a different way or let it go. Or, you know, what I really guide people to, which is this is one of the next step to this whole sort of uh, helping people with this specific issue is accepting it, accepting it, like, it, you know, and really understanding well, what's in my control, what's out of my control and what's out of my control. How do you apply acceptance? And acceptance is not resignation. You could still take action and, and come from a place of accept, acceptance. You, and we call it embodied acceptance because it's one thing to get it in your mind. It's a totally other thing to actually embody acceptance. And when you're embodying acceptance, you might not necessarily like what's going on. You might not you know, want what's happening to be happening, but you can still accept it. 
And from that place, it creates space. And from that space, people are able to sleep. Mm. And when you talk about embodied acceptance, is what you mean there by accepting it in your mind, but also sort of connecting your body to it so the body feels that acceptance as well? Is that what you mean? That's exactly what I mean. It's it's I, I say it's kind of like forgiveness, how forgiveness feels in the body. So sometimes people have a very hard time embodying things because a lot of times we're mostly, we live mostly in our heads. And sometimes people don't aren't even aware that they have a body. It's like that disconnected. So like creating body awareness, doing things to connect the mind and the body, the the mind, the heart, the gut, um, and just starting to, to get sensitive to emotions and feelings and sensations, which is where, you know, meditation kind of comes in with this whole puzzle piece here can then be the start for people to really start to understand how to embody certain things. Yeah. Now embodied acceptance, is that different than them maybe perhaps releasing that belief or somehow getting rid of the belief? It depends. Sometimes it is useful to release something. And if you you could use the word release, surrender, accept, those words can be kind of interchangeable here. And then sometimes it's, I don't think, I don't really ever like to get rid of anything. It's like, let's look at it and see if it's useful. And if it's useful, fantastic, we'll keep it. And if it's not, let's see if we can work with it to, to see see the whole picture of it. And then if the whole picture turns out that it's not useful, then let's learn to let it go. Let's learn to accept it, surrender it, release it, um, and practice that because it is a practice. It doesn't come natural. We're not trained or taught how to do this. We're actually, most of us are conditioned to be in resistance to most things, all almost all things. Um, so it really can be challenging sometimes for people to understand like how to do this. But with time and practice, people do it and then they sleep. So basically, they look at all their beliefs, then see what's useful. If it's not useful, they work on accepting it and embodying it um, or releasing it in some way. And then from there, is it something where they just see better sleep or are there more steps that they would need to go through? Yeah. So so as, as people practice that, they always notice that it's easier to fall asleep or if they wake up, it's easier to get back to sleep. And we also believe that you can't master what you don't measure. So we actually use a device. It's called the Aura Ring. Mm-hmm. You've probably heard of it. Yes. So this kind of gives people the feedback around, hey, when I'm doing some of these sort of esoteric things that um, you can't really see, like that's why people oftentimes they try to change their environment because they can see it. But when you're working with things you can't see, like your thoughts and your beliefs, sometimes it's it's kind of like you 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 there's a doubt that okay this is actually going to make a difference. But when people are measuring it with uh, with the device, then they're actually oh my gosh, like I wow I did sleep better. I was able to fall asleep faster and I slept deeper. And then so once they see it, then that starts to build the belief that okay this is working, and then that creates the momentum for them to start to do some of the other things that we do um, to help people with this specific issue. Gotcha. Now, what if someone is working on this and they start to sleep better and then they have an off night? You know, maybe they had too much to drink or you know, maybe there is more stress or something that's going on. What can people do then? Because I know sometimes, and this happens, you know, not just in sleep, but just with our health journeys as well. You know, we could be feeling better, have better energy or have lower autoimmunity. And then like, boom, something happens and it flares. And I think that that is just such a trigger for so many. Do you have any recommendations for that? 
Yeah, I would just ask yourself this question: What what did you make that mean?、Mm. And oftentimes, you know, I if people are really honest, well, I made it mean that I'm back to square one. I made it mean that this isn't working. I made it mean that I'm never going to be able to to solve this. And then we we kind of do some inquiry on that, like, well, is that useful? <laughs> is it even true? Right. So then we we can sort of work with that. But really, that that one question it's it's really a powerful one. Just understand, well, what am I making this mean? Yeah. Oh, I love that. Oh, that really that makes a lot of sense. I do a lot of this work with my autoimmune patients too. If they start to feel off, a lot of times, you know, I don't, I didn't think of asking it in that way, but we kind of talk about it, and what comes out a lot of time is exactly what you said that it means I'm back to square one. You know, and it's I think it's just so important to realize that you've worked a lot on your body, your health, your mental state. That sometimes, like people get sick from time to time, you know, or、yeah. people can be tired from time to time. Like your stomach can hurt from time to time. Like it doesn't mean that if your stomach hurts, that's it. Your IBS is back, you know,、right. or something like that. Yeah, people have these. Un- it's so fu- we're so funny.、Um, we're really funny people because people they first and foremost they it's like we forget. We're very forgetful, and and we have these unrealistic expectations, and we're meaning making machines. So we're always making meaning out of things, and oftentimes the, the you know the meanings that we're giving things are creating more of what we don't want. And so when you start to realize that, and you start to see, well, like I tell my clients all the time, like listen, I don't sleep amazing every night, but I don't make it when I don't sleep, you know, great one night. I don't make it mean what you're making it mean. Like oh my god, I'm. You know this isn't working, or I'm I'm gonna. You know, can you see the difference there? And that oftentimes that little distinction is is the difference between somebody continuing to like I guess not sleep, or in your case, continuing to have like IBS or you know issues, or just relaxing, allowing the body to take over, and and also just embracing discomfort. Like we're so conditioned to, we're addicted to comfort. Like people. The slightest bit of uncomfortable, whatever, people freak out, and it's like, hey, this is life. It's uncomfortable. It's painful. Like, get over it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, just accept that life is painful. You know, you don't have to suffer, but it's just. I think that when people can really get to a place where they're like, okay, like there is going to be pain from time to time, and they make it okay, versus that, oh my god, it's not okay. All of a sudden, again, it creates this space where where it passes. Faster versus being in resistance to to that pain, right? Right. Well, and especially if you're able to embody that, like you were saying, because you know it takes what like sixty to ninety seconds to actually feel an emotion if you can really feel it, and then it can get released. Versus, you know, like you said, resisting it, and then that emotion just lasts and lasts and lasts. Yeah, and it doesn't even have to be an emotion; it could be physical pain. Like, hey, just even if you accept that you have a headache and you're tired and your stomach's a little off. Like just even embodying acceptance around you don't feel well allows your body to actually heal faster. Versus, oh my god, I need to try to do something to get out of this pain, and why is this happening to me? Like all that is unnecessary. But that's usually where most of us go, right? And I could definitely resonate with that because going through my health journey, I went through a phase like that too, where I'd get triggered because something would happen, and then it would be the spiraling. Okay, what supplement do I need to take? What do I need to do now? And it's like this: okay, go, go, do, 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 versus just like be and let your body take care of it and do what it knows how to do. 
That's it. And that's, and that would be an example of the efforting. Like that's where people get back into trying to do things so that in, in my case, sleep, I'm going to do things so that I sleep. So I'm going to do, do, do. And it's like, no, no, do, 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 be, 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 because Mm. the more you can be, the less you have to do. And that's, that's just the truth. It, but we have to be, you know, we have to be reminded of that because it's just not, you know, we're not taught that, unfortunately. Right. It's not part of our nature. Yeah, for sure. Now, with this sort of be versus do, do you have any tips for people if they are in a place where, you know, maybe everything is going okay and they've looked at some of these beliefs, but all of a sudden they wake up in the middle of the night and they can't fall back asleep. And, you know, they're in that state. I know they're trying not to effort, right? But like they maybe have an important meeting the next day or something, anything that they can do, or I shouldn't say do anything that they can think about, I guess, or how they can be in that moment to help. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, I, I love this question because it's so relevant, I think, to so many people. I always, well, at least when we're working with people that have this challenge ongoing consistently, it's have a have a plan and a place. So if you're you wake up, let's say, don't stay in bed. If you're in bed longer than about 15, 20 minutes, and this is you don't have to look at the clock because it's gonna usually create more anxiety. Um, just kind of feel like, okay, I've been I'm kind of tossing and turning. You kind of know if your body's gonna relax and fall back asleep or not at that point. Just remove yourself and go to a place and have a plan. And do something that's relaxing and boring, but you're not doing what these things so that you can get back to sleep. It's a very important distinction. You're just doing them to do them. So I'm just doing them. I'm going to read this book and and then notice as your mind starts to go to, oh my God, you know, if I don't get back to sleep tomorrow, you know, tomorrow I'm not going to blah, 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 blah. And just notice your mind start doing that and allow your mind to do it. Don't resist that. Don't make it wrong. Don't judge it. Just allow it to kind of run its course. And then sleepiness will start to come. And when it comes... Just get back into bed. It's easy. So essentially, you're not doing those things to get back to sleep. You're doing them just to do them. That's an interesting way to think about it, but it makes sense. That subtle distinction is super important and extremely... It's the difference between you actually getting back to sleep or continuing to not get back to sleep. It's that big. And it's and it's so subtle. It's so, so subtle. But it really does make a massive difference. And I've seen this with hundreds, literally hundreds of people that have had this exact issue and it works. Wow, it's amazing because it's just such a small shift in thinking. So that's really amazing how it can make that big of a difference. That's great. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it often is these little things that make the big differences. It's like the little hinges that swing big doors. This is definitely a little hinge. Now, I know that obviously this mental and psychological component is really one of the biggest things for most people. But do you ever recommend any type of supplement along with this? Um, Do you ever recommend that people do some testing to see if they need any of those things? Or do you feel like it's just a crutch and not helpful at all? No, absolutely. I mean, so sort of when we work with clients, we start with all the psychological aspects of this. Then we move into the physiological aspects and then we've reintroduced the environmental aspects. With the physiological aspects, there's a ton of things that people can do. And this is really depends on somebody's health history um, and sort of where they are. And it, so there's, it's really kind of hard to give blanket sort of statements or recommendations here because we're all unique in this way, but definitely, you know, supporting the body as long as it's really important though, that how you think about what you're doing in this realm is really important as well. So like, 
I always say, okay, well, we might use a supplement here, but you're not, you don't need this supplement. You're taking it because it's going to be supportive to sleep, but you don't need it. Right. So then we don't create more rules about it or else you're in the same situation. Exactly. And it's so easy for people to then kind of fall back into thinking like, oh my God, I need this. And if I don't have this, I'm not going to sleep. And it's like, no, no, you're taking this because it's going to be helpful, but you don't need to take it. And so there's, you know, there's a lot of different things as far as what's good for your health is good for your sleep. What's good, you know, good sleep is good for your health. So it's, you know, really just looking at your, the, your habits around, are you moving your body? Are you eating right, the right foods? Are you getting sunlight, which is really important for circadian health? Are you having healthy relationships? Are you, you know, are you getting connection? Like all these things that people often don't even ever connect to sleep. We connect them to sleep because you can't separate sleep from your life. And so we look at kind of all these other sort of lifestyle things that have a big impact on the physiology of of just healthy circadian rhythm and, and sleep pressure system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course, obviously what we put in our body makes such a difference. Now, do you ever find, and I know everyone is different, but do you ever find that there's certain foods that tend to hinder sleep more versus maybe other foods that help. You know, some people mention that if they eat a lot of meat for dinner, sometimes they don't sleep as well. And everyone's different, of course, but I'm curious if you found any correlations there. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the one that affects everyone is sugar. So, and also the timing, meal timing is important. I know for me personally, if I eat too late in the night, like three, I need at least a three hour window between um, my dinner and my sleep, or I don't get enough deep sleep. Because we get deep sleep in the first quarter of the night, and that's when our body repairs and recovers. It's a really important stage of sleep, and we don't want our bodies digesting food. So timing is just as important as what you're eating. Um, But like you said, everyone is different. There's a huge connection between gut health and sleep. So oftentimes people, most people have like leaky gut, um, or they're eating foods that are really hard for the digestive system to, to handle. And, and that definitely can, can, you know, mess up serotonin and, and this is sort of the whole hormone cascade. So healing the gut is, is really a physiological, um, focus if somebody is, is having sleep issues. And again, it's, it's just good in general. Like it's going to help your energy. It's going to help so many other things, but looking at the the gut health connection, I know, I know you talk, I think a lot about that, the hormones and, and the gut health. Mm-hmm. Hormones, gut, yeah. And then liver is another biggie that I see with yep. um, sleep as well. Because if someone's really toxic, those toxins are just going to, your liver is sort of more active in the evening and it's going to be doing its job and then it'll be harder to sleep. For sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, again, it's like if you can just clean out your body, you're going to sleep better. So if you can have a, a really good working hormone system and a really clean, you know, liver and your thyroid's working right, like that's just obviously if those things are in balance, you're going to sleep better. It's just, and sometimes it can take time to really sort of find the, what needs to take place and add in and take out to, to really sort of balance, balance the body. But with, with the proper support, you know, you can do it. Right. And I think this is just so helpful to hear because so many people do feel very hopeless and like they're just stuck. And I think really talking about all of the emotional connections and, you know, just the mental aspect of it, it, it's really not something that's talked about a lot at all. So I'm just so excited to have this information and to have people receive it because 
you know, we, like you said, we know so much about sleep hygiene, the supplements, and even liver and gut health. That's talked about a lot. This stuff, not so much. So, you know, I just really, really love having this information. Now, Devin, for those that want to connect with you, where can they find you? Sleepscienceacademy.com. And then the, uh, the social media channels is Devin Burke Wellness. Uh, so that's, that's where you can find me. Okay, wonderful. Well, we'll post all of that in the show notes. And this has been so helpful and so informational. And I just want to thank you so much for being here and offering all of this information. I know it's going to be helpful to so many people. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. In Christy's case, we had to look at everything, not just her biochemistry and neurotransmitters, but also her beliefs about sleep and stress. And by the way, just a little side note, neurotransmitters are a wonderful way to see what's happening, but they're actually easier to ascertain by looking at symptoms versus testing for them because urinary neurotransmitter testing is actually not that accurate. As we started exploring Christy's case, I realized that she was quite disconnected from her body and had a ton of rules for herself. For example, we figured out that she thought that if she didn't sleep, she would not be good for anything and that she would never feel good. While that's true, as Devin was mentioning, it's not helpful and all those rules just create a more rigid structure and then more stress and more anxiety. Christy and I started working on using various techniques to try to connect her mind and her body to really be able to feel what she's thinking and then accept and release it as necessary. We also realized that there are many other things in her life that she had such a tight grip on and actually really wanted to let go and release. I had her keep a journal and ask herself what her mind is making things mean and also if it really was true or was it just a story in her head? As we were doing this, we did a bit of testing. Instead of neurotransmitters, which I don't find is accurate through testing, we looked at gut, detox pathways, hormones, and adrenals. We saw a reverse cortisol curve, and so we started to address that. We used some phosphatidylserine. I like using the PS150 from Designs for Health in the evening, and then other things to help boost her adrenals in the morning and then the early afternoon. We then found some gut dysbiosis and some stagnation in her liver pathways. So we worked on drainage with liver and gallbladder. We did that with Tutka and also a supplement called LVGB by Designs for Health. And then we did a GI cleanup with a couple of antimicrobials, which we then followed with probiotics and some healing nutrients. Interestingly, most of the neurotransmitters are made in the gut. So it's really important that we have a gut that's functioning well. It took about 12 weeks to go through all of the protocols and she was working on the mind-body connection during this whole time. And right around the three-month mark, her sleep finally started to improve. The more she was able to let go, the better she slept. This letting go practice is something that she's continuing to work on and continuing to support. And she's so excited to see even more changes in all of the other areas of her life in the months to come. And of course... I was so thrilled as well. If Christy sounds like someone you know, can you please share this episode with them? And please be sure that you're subscribed to the show so that you never miss an episode. And as always, when it comes to your health issues, please, please do not give up because the answers are out there and there really is hope. I'm Ina Toppler. Thank you so much for listening. And I will see you next time on Health Mystery Solved. 
All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.